All right, good to see everyone this morning. All right, so this morning I have a sucker here, and I thought, um, first of all, do any of you like suckers? You guys like suckers? They're pretty good, right? Pretty tasty? Yeah. So I've decided that from now on, I'm only going to eat suckers. No other food, only suckers. Doesn't that sound good? Would you like to eat only suckers from now on out? No? No? I don't know. Do you think it would be good for me if I did that, if I only ate suckers? No, that wouldn't be good, would it? That wouldn't be good. I need a healthy, well-balanced diet, right? I need to eat lots of variety of foods so I can get my vitamins and my minerals and my protein and all kinds of other good nutrients, right? So I need a well-balanced diet, right? What would happen if I chose to eat only suckers? Would I be healthy? Yeah, I'd probably get sick, maybe put on a few extra pounds, yeah? I wouldn't be very healthy, would I? What else? My teeth would fall out. What else? I would lose pounds, maybe. Yeah, it wouldn't be very good for me, would it? I'd be sick. I'd be tired. I wouldn't have any energy. I couldn't do anything. And I I just wouldn't function well, right? I couldn't think clearly because I wouldn't be getting all that I need from my food, right? So today, we're going to be taking a look at preaching, right? Now, preaching is the time when in the service, usually it's Pastor Jeremy, right? He'll come up and he'll talk to us about God's Word, from God's Word and about God's Word, right? So that's what preaching is. So that's what we're looking at today. And so when it comes to preaching, guess what? We also need a well-balanced diet, a well-balanced feeding of God's Word, You know, the Bible says that some people only want to hear certain things that make them feel good. They want spiritual suckers all the time. Is that going to be good for them? No, that's not going to be good for them, is it? They don't want to hear all of what God has for them. They only want to hear what they want to hear. And they only want to hear good, sweet-tasting things like spiritual suckers. And so that's not going to be good for them. Because we know that when we eat food, we need a good, we need good, consistent nutrition, right? And over time, that will be a great benefit to us if we eat really healthy and, and things over time, right? It's going to keep us good and physically healthy, right? And the same thing is true spiritually. We need good, consistent nutrition, spiritual food over time, and that's going to be a great benefit to us as well. That's going to help keep us spiritually healthy. And so it's important for all of you to come to church every week and to hear God's Word preached and get that good spiritual nutrition from God's Word each every week, right? So I'm glad that you're here this morning to hear that good spiritual teaching, that good preaching from God's Word, because that's going to be a really good benefit for you. So thanks, everybody, for coming back. You can go back and listen to Pastor Jeremy. All right. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Sometimes those things are good enough where I don't have much more to say. So that was excellent. I don't know if you noticed, too, Paul Van Camp is up here playing tambourine and the sand inside the egg thing. Uh, is there a name to that thing? Shaker? That's the technical name? Yeah. Uh, Pastor Jeff is doing a great job with our youth training in incremental ways. And Paul's a drummer but he wants to start them small so he doesn't get a big head. 
And so, Paul, good job. Pastor Jeff's doing excellent with that. We are in the book of 2 Timothy this morning. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is right after 1 Timothy. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. A few of you got that. Not too many. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. I saw on Facebook the other day, and since it was on Facebook, it must be true, that the lines around a red solo plastic cup, you know what I'm talking about? They have those grooves around them. Those are actually measurement lines. Did you know that? They are. The first line is an ounce, the second line is five ounces, and the third line up is 12 ounces. That has to do with drinking certain beverages, but either way, it made me think of the sermon today because I have used those cups for most of my life and I didn't know one of the design features of it. I had no idea that they were there for that. I just figured it had to be something to do with the dye or whatever that they made them with. Same can be true of preaching, I think. It's something that we've used all the time, take part in all the time, but maybe don't always understand what it's for. What's it for? What is the preaching of God's Word that we sit under week after week for our Christian lives? What's it for? What's the point? What's the design feature in it? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate from themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of all good things. And we often neglect our dependence on you for those things. And this includes our need to receive the preaching of your holy word by your help. And so God, send your spirit. We cry for your aid to hope in your word. Your commandments are true. They are eternal. Teach us even now to meditate on them in order to observe them. Teach us to not only be hearers but doers by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A pastor uh, once, when being interviewed uh, to be called as a senior pastor for a church, he was asked kind of what programs, what initiatives, what plans would he bring to the church And his answer was, he didn't care if everything failed so long as the preaching of the word was sound. That's what he said in his interview, and somehow he got that call. Uh, That might be an oversimplification, but I think it's true. As long as the preaching of God's word is true and right and biblical, it really um, doesn't matter everything else. He gets that I think you got that answer from this text. Preaching is the priority in life of the church. So we've been doing five sermons on our church, where we're going, our vision, our mission, our strategies as a church. Um, And I've put this 
part last because I believe it's the most important. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a preacher. I'm saying that because of what we see in the Bible. Paul writes, as you heard last week from 1 Timothy, he's writing these letters to Timothy at the end of his life. He is setting up for the church from then for all ages how we are supposed to behave in the church, what we're supposed to do. The church was in its infancy. It had just gotten its start. And now Paul knows that the age of the apostles is passing on, and now they're going to have to institutionalize the church. They're going to have to set it up for future success and maturity. And so what Paul says here at the very end of these letters, at the very end of his life, is such strong emphasis should cause us to wake up. Preach the word. That is, as a pastor, he could have said anything here. He could have named any number of things here for the pastor to give priority to. And he says one thing. Preach the word. Preaching then for the church is the blocking and tackling of football. Preaching is the major scales of music. Preaching is the meat and potatoes. It is the warp and the woof. It is the everything. We say sometimes when we're we're very serious of something, I bet my life on it. There is nothing for us so precious and costly as our lives. And when we're willing to stake our lives on it, we're saying that the thing I'm talking about is the most important thing. Paul is doing something very similar here. Look at verse 1. I charge you. I, who visibly saw the resurrected Christ, I charge you. I lay a charge on you. In the presence of God, I charge you. Before the face of Almighty Holy God, I lay this charge on you. In the presence of Christ Jesus, I charge you. In the presence of Christ Jesus who will come and who will judge all the living and all the dead, I charge you. The one who will appear in his kingdom and rule over all things, I charge you. Preach the word. Paul couldn't have piled up any stronger language here. At the end of his life, at the end of his letters, telling us how to do the church, piling up the strongest language possible. Timothy, whatever else fails, do this thing in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ, who will judge all who will appear in his kingdom, preach the word. There is really nothing so solemn, nothing so serious as what Paul here tells him. So when we talk about the future of our church, one of the things we want to do is preach the word. That's it. The preaching of the word is the foundation for your life as a believer. Another way to say it is there's nothing so important for you as a Christian than to come under the preaching of God's Word. But what is it? What is it? So what I want to do is I just want to take some words in the coming verses, verses, uh, just verse 2, I just want to take apart some words and just unpack them for you for a moment, and then I want to drill down on reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So we're going to talk about preach, 
We're going to talk about reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We're going to talk about patience and teaching. Uh, and so just quickly, just to define what preaching is. First, Paul tells him that he's supposed to preach. He begins with the term itself. Preaching, the term defines what preaching is. Preaching is a proclamation aloud. It is to call out. It is to announce something publicly. It is to herald. It's a forceful term. Not a weak one. It's not a squishy one. It's not a soft term. It's a declaration. Now, this doesn't imply volume so much as authoritative declaration. We see that the authority isn't in the person who's preaching so much as it is in the content of what he is preaching. Preach the word. A preacher is a man ordained by God to declare God's word. And so when you hear the preaching of his, God's word rightly preached, you are hearing the very voice of God. This is one thing that you as a Christian must get absolutely straight in your head. That so long as the preacher is preaching God's word, it is God's word being preached. Okay. So there is no authority in your life above the preaching of God's Word because you are hearing from God. And so a preacher is a kingly prophet declaring God's truth. He is one sent by God to declare it. You may remember when Christ was on earth at the end of his life, towards the end of Matthew, we see a parable he told about an owner of a vineyard who leased out his property. You remember that one? And uh, after some time, the owner sent servants to collect the rent. And the tenants refused to pay and beat, mocked, and even murdered some of the servants. And finally, the landlord, in unthinkable grace, sent his own son, thinking they would at least respect him. And they didn't, of course. They murdered him. What is that parable about but the preaching of God's word? The servants sent to the tenants are God's prophets and apostles who have come declaring God's word and were treated shamefully by God's people. And so finally, God, though speaking by his prophets, as we read in Hebrews, later sent his son whom they treated shamefully and uh, murdered. So that parable stands as a warning to God's people, doesn't it? The men sent by God are not God, but they come at the charge of God to declare God's word to you. The preacher is not allowed to do anything but preach the word and to apply it to God's people. He cannot bring his own alternative word. He must be faithful to it, but never ashamed of it. Preach it as it stands never ignoring anything, never passing over any of it. Pastor Jeff said we are to preach the entire counsel of God. This is often why we preach right through a book of the Bible. It forces us to hit topics that we wouldn't otherwise choose. It forces us to preach hard things. We are never to go below what God says and never go beyond what God says. And then you are to receive it as if it's from God. That's preach. That's preach. But for what purpose? Preach the word. Be 
be ready in season, out of season. So we're preaching is supposed to be a consistent, doesn't matter how good or how bad, or doesn't matter the season of the church, up or down, preach the word. Do this always, no matter the season. And then he has these three words that define preaching. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. What is the aim of God's, of preaching of God's word? Now those three words can all be described with one word. These are all discipline words. These are all words of discipline. What does it mean to reprove? What does it mean to rebuke? What does it mean to exhort? Reprove means to correct verbally. It's a, it's a verbal punishment. It's a verbal discipline. Rebuke means a stern warning. Exhort means an urgent appeal to implore. All three terms are terms of discipline. When I said at the front with the illustration of the solo cup that we have used these things and don't know the main design feature of them, I think this is true in preaching. How many of you think that preaching is for discipline? How many of you ever heard or been taught that the reason that you come every Sunday is to be disciplined by God's Word in the preaching? You haven't, have you? That's what it's for. That's what it's for. To put it in the context of the analogies of which God tells us who his people are. We're a family, right? Church is family of God. We are sons of God in Christ. And God has set over the church family fathers, elders. And what do fathers do for their children? They love them, they lead them, they provide for them, and they discipline them. This is one of the major ways that the church fathers, the preaching of the word, discipline those they love in the preaching of the word. And so, just as any good father knows his children, so the pastors and elders know their children, the church, and want to bring whatever they're preaching, applying it specifically to their children. If one of my children lies and I discipline another child for that lie, I'm not being a good father. Or if I don't do anything about the lying, I'm not a good father. And so what the pastor is to do under the elders is to bring God's word to bear on the actual lives and sins of God's people. Another analogy of the church is of a sheepfold. Shepherd and sheep. Now as unflattering as it is to be referred to as a sheep, it's true of us, isn't it? I'm including myself here. Uh, and God has given you shepherds. The Bible consistently calls elders shepherds. We are to shepherd the flock. Shepherds carry rods. And the rod is given to discipline, to correct. And that isn't just beating people. That is, the sheep are going this way, but God's word says this way, and the rod directs them back into the 
path that is good and life and abundant and free and happy and holy and healthy. That's what the preaching of God's word is for. Now, one of the issues in this is you and I, because of sin, we don't know ourselves very well. We think we do. We think we know ourselves very well. And we often think we're right. And we're... Um, you could be yourself in grievous sin and have another person upset with you for your sin and you think you're right and that person's wrong. We just don't know ourselves very well. And one of the things about us as believers is we're often very worldly on certain points. We take our cues, our patterns of thought, our patterns of behavior, our patterns of reacting to certain situations, not from God and His Word, but from the world, from fallen nature. And this can be simply how you respond to your spouse when he or she upsets you. Do you respond with the mind of Christ or just in worldly ways? This can get to significant things and how do I conceive of salvation? Is salvation something where I need to convince somebody over time to bring them along and so that we should never offend and never turn off? We can be worldly in our view of education. Should we be, uh, how should we educate our children? We can be worldly in, in marriage and family. We often delay marriage for a long time and create situations of sexual immorality. And then, then when we get married, we delay having children for the sake of income and, and job. Isn't that very worldly? We're, we're way more worldly in the church than we think. We're worldly sometimes in our view of money, in our view of time. We're, we're, we are just inundated with the world's thinking, with the world's patterns of behavior, and we don't, we don't see it. We're blind to it. The task of preaching is to put a mirror in front of your face to help you see the areas where you are worldly. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. It's not fun. It's often very painful. It makes you mad. But mad Christians make good Christians. As a young man who, hearing the preaching of God's word about the, the sin of homosexuality, who himself was homosexuality, came to the pastor after the service at the door and said, I'm never coming back here. He was mad. He was offended. A few weeks later, God's word was heavy on him. Conviction, the shame of his sin was heavy on him because of the strong discipline of God's word. He came back, repented. Uh, he's a pastor now with eight children. Mad Christians make good Christians. When you get mad at the preaching of God's word, I sometimes think there's somebody who's going to be very useful. If you're never offended, you're probably apathetic. You probably just don't care. You're content in your worldliness and you're just coming to church for whatever reason. I don't know why. But you should get upset. And then, hopefully, 
by God's grace and humility, the anger turns into humility. And that turns into repentance. And then you become very useful in the kingdom. So you need to have faith for this. You need to believe these three words. You need to have faith to come to church and expect God's word to confront you in your worldliness, to help you see yourself. You have to have faith to believe that God is sufficient for that difficulty. You have to have faith to believe that the Father disciplines those they love. You have to have faith not to get angry with the pastor or the elders, but to in humility consider the plank in your own eye. Now, Paul, after showing us that preaching is for discipline, cautions overzealous preachers. I don't know if you know this, but preachers can sin too. It's true. Other preachers. He says, with complete patience and teaching. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Those are very strong words, offensive words, hard words. And then, with complete patience. One of the failures of preachers is to know how much their children can take. God's law can become heavy and a preacher can sometimes be overbearing or in too many consecutive sermons preach hard things in hard ways and the people can become disheartened. And so Paul encourages complete patience in our reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Some months ago, the elders read an article that related the work of preaching and eldering to fruit trees. You may have noticed as you drove into the parking lot, there's some new apple trees planted out there. And you might have noticed the middle one, I think, got blown over on Thursday night. Uh, a fruit tree, when it's planted as a young sapling, needs years of care. Years of watering and pruning and protection and fertilizing before it begins to bear fruit. It's patient work. It's a work where the cumulative impact is measured not in weeks, but in years. We are... God's newborn fruit trees. (laughs) We are grafted into Christ. We are planted and pruned and bearing fruit to the glory of God. And preaching is the main work of the gardener to make you as fruit as possible. It must be done patiently. And so I've, I've failed in this and I will fail in it. And so we must know our children. How much can they take? What are they used to? What kind of preaching have they sat under before? Has it been weak? Has it been nice? Have the preacher brought God's law to bear or not? Where are they at? Where is their worldliness? And how much pressure can they take there? And so you are urged to pray for your preacher in this. You're urged to give him feedback. It does not help me for you to give feedback to people other than me. 
Now, the ironic thing, you might not know this, it always gets back to me with names, right? So if you're talking to somebody else about something that I've offended you, I know. (laughs) I don't know how this, it happens in our families too, right? One kid tells another kid something and it always gets back to mom or dad. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It'd be so much more helpful if you just come talk. I'm so open to it. I'm not mean. I listen well. I receive it well. I learn. It really is helpful if I know. Um, And so I want to encourage you to do that. Now, he says the second thing with complete patience and teaching. 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 One of the weaknesses in the American church is a lack of doctrinal depth. God's people don't know God's word very well anymore. They don't even know the terms, much less what they mean. And one of the arguments is in our day that our society is very post-Christian. Kids don't grow up in the church and in Sunday school anymore. They just don't know God's word anymore. And so the preaching has to be very careful not to be um, too doctrinal, too theological. And I just think that's a load of poo. They just need to be taught. How is anybody ever going to come to know doctrine who doesn't know it unless they're taught it? And primarily in the preaching. I remember talking with a guy once that we should just be careful not to use words like justification and use words like propitiation. I was like, you're supposed to teach them what they mean. Of course no preacher just throws out the word propitiation without describing it. I'm not going to describe it right now. It's not the point. Look it up. Um, So preaching is to be doctrinal. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, preaching is doctrine on fire. (laughs) You should come to hear the truths of God and never have them hid. God is a wonder. God is incredibly awesome and majestic. I don't understand how you could be a Christian and not want to know about God. And these truths of God come with terms that are sometimes confusing. We need to be taught them. And it is a wonder to learn them. You love God more when you hear the truth of who God is. Preaching that is not doctrinal is not preaching. Why do I tell you these things? Number one, I want you to enjoy the kind of preaching you're doing and not get so ruffled by it. Second, when you move to a different city, if you move to a different city, I do not want you to go to a church that preaches weekly because it will hurt you as a Christian. It will really hurt you as a Christian. All right, so that's preaching. My grandfather, Pa, Mel, Melvin, that's where I get my middle name from, at one time was something of a fisherman. But when I was of age to do that kind of thing, he never fished. I just heard stories of his fishing, but he never fished anymore. Good question. So I asked him why. And he told me that he was out ice fishing. Ice fishing is for poor people, if you didn't know that, because you don't need a boat. 
Boats are expensive, and so poor men ice fish. My grandfather was an electric motor repair man. He did all right, but he wasn't rich, and so he ice fished. Rich people open water fish. <laughs> so he was out on Fox Lake ice fishing one evening, and a fog came in, and Fox Lake is aerated, and so there's a section that's open water all year round, and you have to be careful. And so the fog was thick enough. My grandfather always drove Ford station wagons. I don't know why. Always drove Ford station wagons. He was out there with his Ford, and he couldn't see to drive off. And so he took him hours to get off the lake. And when he finally did, he came back the next morning, and his tire tracks were very close to the open water. And he told me, I've never fished since. All right. There were warning signs out there on the ice. There are signs all over Fox Lake. Don't go here, you'll die. That's what preaching's for. If you would, just turn with me to Ezekiel 3. Let's see if you know your way around the Bible here quick. Ezekiel's in the Old Testament. If you hit Psalms, you've got to go to the right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, I think. And then Ezekiel. So the preacher is to warn you. You're dangerously close to death. Don't step there. That's what preaching's for. All right. So in Ezekiel 3, we'll start, let's say, at verse 4. In verses 1 to 3, God gives Ezekiel his word. Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak. Speak my words to them. Don't speak in a foreign language or a hard language. Speak clearly. Speak in ways that they can understand in verse 6. I have sent you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. They have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Remember when they worshipped and bowed down to the calves? They became just like them. Stiff-necked and stubborn. You ever worked with an animal? They can be really stubborn. Israel became what they worshipped. You become what you worship. They wouldn't listen to God's word. They wouldn't listen to him. But he's still supposed to preach it. Verse 10, son of man, all of my words that I speak to you, go to the people, speak to them. Thus says the Lord. There's the definition of preaching. That's what preaching is. That's what preaching is. And in verse 16, he likens the preacher to a watchman. Verse 17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give it to them, warning them. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, no speak the warning, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die, and I will recover their blood at your hands. But if you warn the wicked, and if he does not turn from his wickedness or from the wicked his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. That's a preacher. That's a preacher. This is what preachers do. This is what fathers do. This is what shepherds do. We warn God's people with God's word so that they might not die eternally. That's what you're here for on Sunday mornings. You have to have faith for that. You have to have faith for that. 
We are blinded like my grandfather by the fog of our own pride, our own self-reliance, our deceptively rebellious hearts, our worldliness. We do not know ourselves very well. And God has given you the preaching of his word as a loving reproof, as a loving rebuke, as a loving exhortation. You are perilously, perilously close to death. Don't step there. Walk this way. Don't do that. Please do this. That's what preaching's for. That's what preaching is for. To call you back from the edge of your sin. But our world is a Facebook world. You know what Facebook is for? It's for flattering. That's what it's for. You put something that you did or made and people tell you how good you are. It scratches our itch of need of praise. Now, there's good things to Facebook, but it just is flattering. I mean, you see people who are divorcing spouses, and look at all the comments under them. You go. It's okay. Got it. It's just flattery. It's flattery. Why is Facebook so popular? Because our age is an age of flattery. We define love as flattery. If you love me, you'll tell me how good I am, even if I'm doing things that are horrible. That's how we define love today. And if I want to identify as a 63-year-old Asian woman, loving me means affirming me in it. That's love today, right? Preaching is not for flattery. Preaching is not for flattery. Preachers don't do well on Facebook. And so you live in a world where you are consistently inundated with the lie that the only people who love you are the people who will flatter you. And then you come to churches and pastors who care too much about what you think will do nothing but flatter you all day long. They will never reprove you. They will not rebuke you. They won't even exhort you because they want you in a seat so they can tell their buddies how many people come to their church. They want you to keep giving money so that they can keep getting paid and keep telling you lies. That's what's wrong with the American church today. That's the issue. And... God tells the preacher Ezekiel, if you do that, they will die in their sin and I will make you give an account for their blood and I will not do that. Our elders will not let me do that. And so you should thank God for our elders. Most elders exist in churches to restrain the pastor. They're weak men who care too much about what God's people think. So they're constantly trying to keep the pastor from doing what's biblical. Not our elders. Thank God. <laughs> you should thank God for our elders. Now they tell me when I'm wrong, and then I think they're wrong, and then we get over it and we're good. Uh, 
We have good elders in this. All right. So uh, you'll notice verses 3 and 4 are really hard. People don't want preaching. Who is verses 3 and 4 written for? Written for me. That I won't be surprised when people despise the preaching of God's word and leave. But that I'll keep preaching God's word. That's who it's for. And yet, it should have a good effect on you, right? Don't be surprised when people leave a church. So long as they're leaving because the preaching is right and good. Always be surprised who leaves. Right? And then as a warning to you, don't be that. that. That's what that's for. And then in verse 5, he says, as for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering. What kind of suffering? The suffering of verses 3 and 4. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul says in verse 7, he has fought the good fight. He has remained faithful to the Lord and to his Lord's truth. So I want to urge you to do so as well. Why? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, there is reward coming. Our God is the kind of God who spends his son on our behalf, removes all of our sin at the price of his son's blood, raises him from the dead and us along with him, and then promises us reward in eternity. (laughs) That's the kind of God we have. And so be faithful for the fight. Notice what he says there. Fight the good fight. Does your definition of church ministry include fighting? Do you have faith for it? Heaven and hell are real, brothers and sisters. Right? You and I are by nature, from conception, twisted and on our way to hell. If nobody intervenes at all, you will go to hell because that's who you are. And you want us to play weak and nice in the preaching and shepherding? We're not playing here. Your children will go to hell. I will not play here. Because I want you in heaven with reward before our God forever. Right? That's it. That's what our church is for. Will we sin Absolutely. Will I sin? Absolutely. Will I mess this up? Totally. So what? We're going to keep preaching. I'm not going to be afraid of that. Christ is worth it, is the point. That's the point. He is worth it. Let's pray. Father, please uh, help us. It is true, God, that we do not trend in ourselves towards your word. We are rebels at heart. We wickedly despise what you have said. 
And so, God, we need your grace. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for new life in your son. Thank you that we now, in Christ, by your spirit, actually can grow to love your word and to help us to receive it well, to be trained up under it. Help me to preach your word rightly, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with complete patience and teaching. And give us grace to receive it. Give us faith, O oh God, to receive your word. I pray that now that it would work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.